Hey everyone, before this week's episode, we wanted to share some really exciting news. We have heard your feedback on our audio and trust us, we feel your pain. But we are so happy to announce that we've upgraded our software to Riverside to provide you guys with a better viewing and listening experience. Since we do record our episodes in advance, please bear with us over these next two episodes. And thank you all so much for being here and sticking with us through this year of growth and improvement as a podcast. We really wouldn't be here without each and every one of you. Thank you all so much and enjoy the next episode. Okay. Well, hello. I love I love when we have to say hello twice. We've been talking for like an hour. Okay. Yeah. It's always awkward. I'm like, I'm just gonna let her start it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. Thank you. I mean, if you guys ever wonder why some of our, we're going to say hi to everybody seems duplicated or we do one in one episode and not in the immediate other one is because we record two episodes every time we record. Therefore, the stats don't change. So yeah, that's all besides the point. Anyway, hello. If this is your first time here, welcome to the psych ward. I am one of your co-hosts, Darcy. And I am the other co-host, Shannon. And welcome to Take a Killer to Brunch. We are a paranormal and all things. Oh, no, we are a true crime. We're both. We're, we're a true crime and paranormal and all things spooky, whatever podcast. So we're happy to have you here. Welcome. Take a, se- take a seat. We'll show you around. And for everybody that is a resident in the psych ward, we're happy to have you guys. Thank you so much for being here. If you're watching on YouTube, ty- timestamps will be below so you can kind of skip through the episode as you see fit. Um, but we are going to cover not Shannon's first, but my first listener request. So I'm super excited. So we gave a shout out to Riker in one of our previous episodes, one of our listeners, and this was a request from, from Riker. So very excited. Thank you so much for sending this one in. This one was a wild ride. And this one also has up-to-date information, Shannon, for you. And it hasn't been completely... The case isn't closed. I can say that for sure. So it's really depressing. We're going to cover it. If you guys have suggestions on whether it's true crime or paranormal or cryptid or spooky, I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Shannon's covered a wide variety of cases from disappearances to mysteries to haunted locations to cryptids to spooky, anything. So if there's anything you guys want us to cover, just drop it in the comments or send us a DM or an email and we would love to cover it for you. So thank you, Riker, for the suggestion. I'm going to jump right into it. So we are going to cover today. I don't know if you've heard of this. This happened back in November. That's how recent this case is, Shannon. Have you heard of the Idaho massacre? Oh, okay. Also, I mean, also known as like the Idaho College student murders, but I keep seeing the Idaho massacre, the Idaho student massacre pop up a lot in my research. I think you would really like Crime Drive, Shannon. I really enjoy listening to her podcast. Also, when I was looking up research on this, there was only three podcasts that popped up on this subject because it's still so relevant. And I think a lot of times when you're talking true crime in the podcast community, if you're in the podcast community for true crime, let me know what you think. But I think we oftentimes kind of wait for results to kind of come out in a conclusion to be made so we can cover the story in full. But that's not what we're doing today. So that's where we are. What we're actually covering today 
was a quadruple homicide. So it's a very, yeah, it's it's pretty big. It's a quadruple homicide that took place in an off-campus house on November 13th of 2022. Wow. Yeah. I mean, granted, I was kind of going through a lot at that point in my life. So that's probably why I really didn't hear. I mean, I feel like I saw something probably on social media about it or something like that, but my mind was elsewhere. But that's, that's insane. Yeah. Or four. And honestly, I have never heard of this case. I'm surprised because a lot of people are like, I remember hearing about it. I remember following about it. I'm like, I have not heard anything about it. So if you're from Idaho, I would love to hear your theories or your thoughts, especially since the case isn't technically closed and a conviction hasn't been made, but we're going to get there. So the victims were all stabbed to death. It's amazing to me because we know, we've talked about this before on the podcast, that stabbing someone to death is a very intimate form of murder, let alone four people Yeah, and getting yeah. away. And to be able to get away with that too, or a semi get away with that, or, you know, be able to, I should say the better terminology is to accomplish something like that is a lot. Yeah. So my question to you is to be stabbed to death and to stab four people to death, how many perpetrators do you think that realistically that would take? It depends. And in my opinion, on like the location of each individual that was murdered. So if it's in a smaller space, I feel like that's a lot more difficult to do alone because it's a matter of obviously once the stabbing occurs, they're obviously going to start screaming an alarm everybody else that's in that general vicinity. So it's in to try to, I guess, unless you're able to somehow keep them quiet enough. I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty, even if I'm asleep, I feel like I'm a light sleeper that I feel like I would try, I don't know, maybe I would hear something, maybe I wouldn't, but you know, I guess you'd have to be somehow be able to not only overpower them, cover their mouth so that you can't hear them screaming and stab them all at the same time and, and be able to yeah. do that four times basically without alerting anybody. Yeah. And we're, I mean, you bring up a couple of good points that we're actually going to touch on because there are some theories that I'm going to bring up. But when I think about a case like this, first of all, I will say, because we're going to talk about them, but as of right now, the person, the assailant being suspected of murder is one person. And I just think of the Manson murders when they killed like Sharon Tate and the other people in her house. There was like six people that got murdered in that house. And it took three people to do that. And one person is being held accountable for the crimes of the or the murder of these four, these four students. So it's really interesting to me. And we're going to kind of cover it all. So the victims themselves were 21-year-old Madison Mogan, 21-year-old Kaylee. Gasavas and 20 year old Zana Kernodal, and then 20 year old Ethan Chapman. A little bit about the victims themselves. Madison and Kaylee were like BFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFFF
like to the point where they were like, let's live together. So they even went to the same university. They lived in the same home. Madison and Zana, they worked at a place called the Mad Greek. So it was a Greek food restaurant. So they worked together. So that's how they knew each other. Madison, Kaylee, and Zana were all roommates. So they all got together and decided to get a, a house, a place together. And then Zana and Ethan were actually a couple. So they were dating. So that's kind of how this group of four knew each other in relation. Our alleged killer in question is a guy by the name of Brian Koberger. He was 28 years old at the time. He was a PhD student in criminology. He was a graduate student at and a teacher's assistant at Washington State University, which was only about 15 minutes away from this university. So he actually really wasn't that far. I mean, I am terrible with directions. We all know that. I'm really bad with that in general. So I was like, whoa, like Idaho and Washington, like what they're at in they're actually not that far away. These two universities are actually not that far away from each other. So I was like, okay, great. That makes more sense to me. So this is who our alleged killer is, and these are who our victims are. So here's a little bit of the timeline events, the, a timeline of events and what we know, okay? So we're going to start back in October of 2022. Brian, who his Instagram page is now inactive, People Magazine actually was able to see his his Instagram before it went inactive, but it showed that he followed both Madison and Zana before his Instagram went inactive. So he was following both of them. And it's unclear who out of the three women it was, but he was sending messages. Like he was the guy talking to himself in the DMs. You know what I mean? Like everyone has a guy in their DMs. Hi, how's your morning? Hi, beautiful. How are you doing today? Hello. Hi. Hi. Wow, that's so great. It's just like he's talking to himself. He was that dude in one of their DMs. Now, it hasn't come out yet who it was because a bunch of this information is still sealed and it hasn't been released to the public yet. There is a theory that it was Kaylee, but we'll get to that. So there was some connection to him and at least two of the women. He followed Morgan and he followed, I'm sorry, Madison, not Morgan. He followed Madison and he followed Zana. But here's the kicker that I found interesting was while he was sending them these messages, they were all in their message requests. And if anyone's familiar with Instagram, messages and message requests only go there if you don't follow that person. So what that tells us is both Madison and Zana did not follow Brian at all. He followed them, but they did not follow him. And so it's entirely possible that whoever he was DMing, whether it was Kaylee or any of the other two, they didn't even see those messages because you don't get notified on Instagram when you have message requests. You have to like physically click on them and you're like, oh, I have message requests. So that's a piece of information to know. Yeah. Then we're going to jump to November 12th, the night before the murders. It was the last game of the season and it was a home game. That was a really big deal because where the house was, where the home was the girls rented was also called, what was it? 
Greek Street. And Greek Street was basically was like the frat streets, the sorority houses. If you weren't in a sorority as a girl, you were in a frat as a boy. So it was a very big deal. Game day, especially a home game, and it's the last game of the season, was a huge deal. Everyone was partying. Everyone was having a really good time. And so their plans, the four of them, they were going to go tailgate and then go to the game, and then they were going to kind of see where the night took them. So they all tailgated before the game, and Kaylee actually posted a photo on her Instagram page of the four of them together, which sadly enough is the last photo they would all take together. And she captioned it and they quote, one lucky girl to be surrounded by these people every day. And Aww. yeah, I mean, there, there was a memorial or vigil held and all the parents spoke and her and her, her dad talked about her and all of these people, just all of these kids just sounded so great and they loved their families and they really loved their friends. And like, she had such a big future ahead of her and she just really cherished her friends that it's just really sad that it's like, I have kind of goosebumps talking about it, but like, that's the last that they will ever have together. Like less than 24 hours later, they would all be dead. It's so sad to think about. So after the tailgate, Ethan and Zano, they went to a party at Ethan's frat house. And then Madison and Kaylee went to a bar called the Corner Club. So they kind of split off into their own two groups. The girls went their own way. The couple went their own way. And Madison and Kaylee would eventually turn up on a surveillance camera at the its spot for after bar food. Like, you went to college. I didn't finish college. But there's tends to be, like, it's a best spot. Like, after everyone's done bar hopping and getting really fucked up, they go to this one place eat and kind of like eat a little drunk food and go home and pass out so it was a food truck actually called the grub truck and the grub truck i watched the entire 25 minute surveillance footage they actually do a live stream on twitch and they would live stream the stuff and and you can see it and you can see kaylee and madison getting their food at the grub truck and just kind of hanging out and waiting but you can see them at the grub truck between 1 30 and 1 45 a.m and honestly, like, girl, same. Like, when I'm fucked up, the biggest thing I want is to eat something greasy and delicious. We've all exactly. been there. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm trying to think about what the spot was for us. I more or less, I have a lot of memories, too. Like, even when I worked night shift in the hospital, there was, like, a, a bar that, you know, oftentimes we'd go to. I mean, and it sounds terrible because, you know, we're nurses. And we'd literally just leave shit, like, our shift at 7 a.m. and go over to this bar because we were hungry and it's like we just got off 12 hour shift we're like dead tired but like when you get off at 7 a.m. every almost every day you know like three days out of the week at least for years on end you get tired of only eating like breakfast food for dinner basically that's our dinner so the cool thing about this one bar was that they actually had like a full like what you would think of like as like a bar menu you get like mini corn dogs you can get like deep fried pickles like anything at like 7 a.m. And that was like the best because it's like, I don't want breakfast food every day. I don't want to just be stuck to that. So we could get our drinks, decompress, and get some really shitty bar food. But it was great. Listen, man, you do what you gotta do and like respect. No one is, no one here can hate. And if you're going to hate, get out. We don't want you here. Yeah. But then, but then supposedly COVID changed it. So now they don't open up as early. I'm like, that's a shame. But the girls return home around 1.15 in the morning. They get like an Uber or a Lyft some ride share service and they get home, right? Which is generally around the time everybody came home. So by at least 2 a.m., all four of them were at home, okay? So 
the majority of this all takes place after 2 a.m. The police theorize it was around 4 a.m., but it's between 2 and 4 a.m. So it's assumed everybody was asleep. And unfortunately, Madison, Kaylee, Zanna, Ethan would all be stabbed to death in their home with a large knife. But they have not found the knife. They said they found the sheath, which we'll talk about. But they say they they similar they assimilate it to the knife that Rambo used. I've never seen any of the Rambo movies, so if you have, you kind of have an idea of what that is. But the, it's like some kind of like hunting knife, basically. It's a large hunting knife. Um, Madison and Kaylee. Here's kind of where things get like crazy in this fucking case. Madison, Kaylee, and Zana shared this home with two other roommates. So there's actually five people that live in this house. And their roommates' names are Bethany and Dylan. Okay, both are girls. And they were also home during the murders, but they were not harmed during the murders. They were left unscathed. It gets weirder. Listen. Like I said, Ethan and Zana, they were a couple, so they were staying in Zana's room. Kaylee, here's another weird thing. Kaylee actually had gotten an IT job in Texas. So she actually had moved out of the house months prior, but she was in town spending time with Madison, her fucking basically her sister, before she had to leave for Texas. So it's just, it's interesting that this crime took place on a weekend that she was in town. We don't really know how often she would visit or how often she was staying at the house, but it just seems super weird that this crime took place on a weekend that she was at the house. You know yeah, what I mean? kind of like specific timing for sure. Exactly. Um, so here's how the house layout kind of goes. It's a very weird layout. So I kind of, you have to think of it in layers because it's the only way I can think about it. So there's three floors in this home. Okay. So the first floor, it could be the first and second floor could be entered from the outside. The third floor, you could not. So on the first floor, there were two bedrooms, okay? And then when you went to the second floor, that was kind of like the main level. That's where your living room was. That's where your kitchen was. That's where they had the sliding glass door to the patio, similar to your house that you had with Ashley. You know what I mean? So it was like big sliding glass door, your generic sliding glass door. And then there were also two bedrooms on the second floor. So we have two bedrooms on the first floor, two bedrooms on the second floor, and then on the third floor, there were also two bedrooms. So we have six bedrooms in total, five women having this house. It makes sense. So in terms of where everybody lived, Bethany, one of the roommates, she had a room on the first floor, but the other room was empty. So that's important to know because if you are a stranger breaking into somebody's house and you're looking for people specifically, you would maybe make a mistake going to the first floor because if you're not going for Bethany, then you're making, then why are you there, right? No. On the second floor, Dylan and Zana had a room. So Dylan had a room and Zana had a room on the second floor. And then on the third floor, Madison and Kaylee each had rooms, but Kaylee spent most of her time like in bed with Madison. It was very well known that they most of the time shared a bed they were that's how close they were they were they shared a bed most of the times Kaylee also had a dog named Murphy which was so sweet and that particular night Murphy stayed in her bedroom so Madison was I'm sorry Kaylee was in Madison's bed and Murphy was in Kaylee's bedroom so that's kind of the layout of this house 
there's that. Okay, but real quick, okay. don't tell me something happened to the dog too. Nothing happened to Murphy. I can say oh, that. I'll say that now. Murphy was okay. Good. But Good. I, I always that, have to ask. That, I'm like, too many times you'll throw out something horrible that happens to a poor dog. And I'm just like devastated. So I'm glad this is not the case. Yes, I will tell you nothing bad happens to Murphy. He's okay. Okay. Also, that's a very so, cute name. I know. I don't know what kind of dog he was. Nothing said what kind of dog he was. But anyway, so everyone's home around 2 a.m., Everyone's assumed to be asleep, including Dylan and Bethany. Between, in a matter of a few minutes, Kaylee actually attempts to call her ex-boyfriend named Jack six times between the time of 2.26 a.m. to 2.44 a.m. When she fails, Madison tries to call Jack three more times. And then when that fails, Kaylee tries to call him one more time and by 2.55 a.m., the two of them had tried to call Jack a total of 10 times. Jack never answers the phone. He would be ruled out as a suspect because, like, you think that maybe he's involved. He actually wasn't involved. But I feel like part of me is concerned, like, were they being attacked at that point? Were they just really drunk at that point? Like, I feel like as Jack, we'll never know. And part of me feels like a huge wait, would just sit in my chest, like knowing that like I didn't pick up the phone. Definitely. Could the outcome have been different? You know, uh, that, that would be a, a huge weight to bear. Mm-hmm. So here's where the story gets weird. Weirder than it already is. So Dylan, one of the roommates, she shares the second floor with Zana. Remember? So Zana and her boyfriend, Ethan, are in the other room. And then Madison and Kaylee are upstairs. Dylan wakes up around 4 a.m. She hears noises and she chalks it up to Kaylee just playing with her dog before she's like, okay, whatever. And then she hears somebody saying, she she hears noises, she thinks it's Kaylee playing with her dog, and then she hears someone say, there's someone here. And she's like, what the fuck? She cracks open her door and she doesn't see anything, so she just goes back to bed. She's like, whatever, she's probably drunk, whatever, right? Zana was awake at this point, by the way. Zana's awake around 4 a.m. Why was she awake around 4 a.m.? Because she was getting her DoorDash order. <laughs> I was like, you know what, girl, get it. Also, because it's open at 4 a.m. Came... Holy shit. That's what I'm trying to fucking know. I mean, did her DoorDasher, he came forward. Like, there is proof that he delivered food to her house around 4 a.m. There's also proof that she was on TikTok at 4.12 in the morning. So we can assume that Xana was at least alive until 4.12 a.m., which just makes the story more gruesome when you hear some more of the time, okay? Yeah, literally, because I'm like, oh, is she getting, like, jack-in-the-box or something? Because what else is open 24 hours? Like, that Filibertos, which, do they have Filibertos there? Right, so if she's saying, oh, there's someone here, she may be talking about her, oh, my light just went out one second. Yeah, the story gets fucking weird, and it's still ongoing. Back, okay. So like I said, she's probably like, oh, it's the DoorDasher. She's drunk, right? She just came back from a frat party. Her boyfriend's passed out in bed. She's going to get her food. So why would Dylan think anything weird, right? Right. Then for the second time, Dylan hears somebody crying. And she's like, 
what? Like she hears crying and then she hears a man's voice say, it's okay, I am going to help you. And so then she peeks out her door again and she doesn't see anybody. It almost feels like the boy that cried wolf, right? It's by the third time, no one believes you, right? So she peeks out her door again. There's nobody there. So she's okay. So she shuts her door. She tries to go back to bed. Then at 4.17 a.m., so this would be, what, five minutes after she was on TikTok, if you're putting it into perspective, there's security footage from a neighbor's house close enough to Zana's room. So if they're on the second floor where the patio door is, I assume her room is probably close to the patio or maybe their rooms are equally distanced from the patio. But her room is close enough to this, the wall of her room or whatever is close enough to this neighbor's footage or camera that it was actually able to pick up audio of someone whimpering and then a loud thud and a dog barking. Oh, that's which creepy. is really creepy. Thank you. Like Ugh. it was loud enough to make the dog upstairs bark. And and the the other two girls didn't think anything. But we don't know where the thud came from. That's the thing. Is like we just hear somebody whimpering, we just hear a loud thud, and we hear a dog barking. That's all the neighbors camera audio was able to pick up right if 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 that camera was able to pick up that audio like what about the other two females in the house hey that's where i'm coming in and nobody's talking about it so back to dylan i guess bethany just sleeps like a comatose corpse because there's no mention of bethany anywhere about anything. I, I don't know what's going on with Bethany. Dylan. I mean, if she was, but I mean, if she was like drunk enough. I mean, I know. I mean, you know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. We've all been there. I guess. I mean, you, I guess you're right. you shall we bring up your SpaghettiO incident? The SpaghettiO story. Listen, I've accepted who I am because of the SpaghettiO story. So you can tell it. It's fine. Oh my gosh. You guys. So Darcy and I did live together for a short period of time. Oh my God. This girl is chaos sometimes. She used to be. Not as much now, but she used to be full on chaos. And I come home from work and I'm walking in. I th- was it when I was doing, I don't know if it was when I was doing night shift. Maybe it was. It had to have been. No, you were totally doing night shifts. So it was in the morning or maybe it was some, I don't know. Maybe I was out. Anyways, regardless, I came home. <laughs> Darcy's on our living room couch, just chilling, propped up. I mean, if you can imagine, like, the armrest is like her pillow. On her chest, this girl decided it would be a great idea to start eating SpaghettiOs at God knows what time of the night. It was so precariously perched on her boobs. It was, like, slowly spilling onto her chest. And I was like, honey, you're spilling SpaghettiOs straight up on your chest right now. I cannot with you. Mm. Also, was that the same time that your phone was, like, on 1% battery? Yeah, I was like, ugh. And like yeah, she dramatically night. like tries, she <laughs> very poorly, dramatically tries to grab her phone to plug it in. And I was like, oh, my God. I did like a sigh and I like picked up her phone, plugged it into like the, the wall charger. And I think I went at 1% some paper towel. And mm-hmm. like I tried to like grab the bowl of spaghetti off your chest. 
I was like, listen, wow. listen, if your best friend doesn't clean your drunken spaghettios off your chest and plug your phone in at one percent, are they really your best friend? That is the question <laughs> I pose to people all the time. And if the answer is no, then they're not your best friend. Yes. Also, I am I the only one that likes to drunken eat spaghettios? Oh, oh, spaghettios are a fabulous drunk food. I don't care who you are. Oh my gosh. And also like, it was, I thought it was hilarious too. Cause like I, at the time, like, I just, I don't even think I asked you what it was that you were doing or how you got that drunk. I was just like, it is what it is. I'm not even going to ask. Listen, we were both at a very interesting point in our lives. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There was I a mean, lot I happening. I would be able to remember if you did tell me what it was. Cause we were all just, we're chaos, full on chaos. I just, I mean, I do remember, I have a photo somewhere of Penny because you were at work and she was just like cuddling with me on the couch. And I was like, I am victorious. Penny has chosen me. And I was like, I'm just the chosen one because her mom is not here. But I was refusing to, you know, accept that. And I was bored. So I was just, I probably went out. I don't really remember. There was, that was such a blur in my life. That was the... That was the point in my life when I was like, you and I are both working crazy hours. Like I was working 15 hours a week, going to school full time. And I'm sorry, 15 hours a day, 15 hours a week, I wish. 15 hours a day, going to school full time, going to the gym full time and trying to have a social life. And you were doing the same shit. Like you were doing the same, you were working like what, two or three jobs, going to school full time. Like it's the same fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like, good ah. times. you know, I walked in, I was like, yeah, good times. I will always tell people about our spaghetti story because it's true friendship right I there. Mean, it is. At the end of the day, I didn't get spaghettios on the couch. No, no, no. And I'm pretty sure it was like a light colored couch too. So it was like, we didn't get the spaghettios on the couch. Um, it wasn't like spaghetti vomit. So it was just a bowl of spaghettios. So it really wasn't that bad, honestly, you guys. Yeah, I was actually really sad when my spaghetti was spilled. I'll be honest. I do remember that. <laughs> I remember being sad that my spaghettios were spilling. And I remember being super happy and grateful. Like I was eternally grateful that you plugged my phone in at 1%. Gosh. Anyway, <laughs> oh, that's friendship. Okay. Back, back to your story that was that was our fun little break in between um, all the depressing shit lately that we've been talking about i know i wasn't kidding man so this is depressing okay so dylan opens her door for the third and final time right we're coming to the full climax of the boy of cred wolf she opens her door for the third time because she hears someone crying this time she's hearing crying and she's like, okay what is happening now so she opens her door and everyone has a fight or flight, right? There's, I'm sorry, there's fight, flight, and freeze. Dylan froze, which in one of our Redditor theories saved her life, essentially. She freezes because this time she sees a man in all black clothing in a black mask enough to cover his face and his, like his nose and his face. So we don't know if that was like a ski mask. We don't know if it was like a hoodie and like a, a mask that we've been wearing for COVID. Like he was just covered. All she could see was like this. Okay. And what she saw, and she says he walked 
right past her and out the patio doors. So that's what I'm saying. And it's like, so she's by the patio. Is her and Zana's room both by the patio? Are they kind of distance apart? We know that she was close enough to the patio. That's how he left. And he walked right past her. Didn't even give her a second glance. And I'm like, this dude just committed a quadruple homicide and homie's just going to let you live? Like, the fuck? I mean, okay, so this is is my thought. Okay, so this is like 4 a.m., right? So if it's like 4 17. Is what? 417. Okay. So 4 a.m., probably pretty dark still. I mean, it is, it's dark outside. So maybe it's dark in the house for one. Maybe that's part of it. For two, you know, obviously this guy committed a quadruple homicide. So what is going through his mind right now is probably a lot. And maybe those two things combined. So it being dark, maybe she's in like a dark area of the house when she walks out and sees him. And he's just so like laser focused on, I just killed four people. I know I need to go out and leave this house. That it's almost like a tunnel vision. You know what I mean? Sure. I get but that. Yeah. I mean, like you guys are saying though, it's like the fact that she froze probably did save her life, you know, because if she had tried to fight him or screamed or whatever or ran even or made any kind of sudden movements maybe yeah then that tunnel vision that he was currently in at that time probably would have alerted him and she had been the fifth sure and we're going to get back to that theory at the end but keep that in mind so here was her description of the assailant or the man that she's always say the man because at this point she has no idea that her roommates are fucking dead so she tells police later that he was about five foot ten or taller. He was athletically built, but he wasn't muscular. So in my mind, I think like a runner, you know, like they're athletic, but they're not muscular. And he had bushy eyebrows was one of her other descriptors. So she says the man walked past her and she froze in the doorway and he left at the back patio and then promptly she locked herself in her bedroom so to me that's it scared her enough to lock herself in her room and i want you to remember that because what happened next i'm so trying to wrap my brain around the good news is the good of the bad is nobody was sexually assaulted or raped in this attack unfortunately they were all murdered but like i said it's assumed most of them were asleep but being awoken from slumber by being attacked only because some of them had defensive wounds on them, according to the autopsy. So it seems like maybe they were sleeping and they were attacked and they started to fight back. Cause I don't know about you. If I got stabbed in my sleep, I might wake up. Yes. Yes. I mean, unless it was a spaghetti night for you, I don't know if you would have woken up. I mean, I remember, I remember you plugging my phone in. So yeah, I think I'm woken up. But uh, so here's the thing is she says at seven at 4 17 a.m. This dude leaves the house, right? The police are not called until 11 58 a.m. The following day. So almost noon on a Sunday, the police aren't called to this house. And a call comes from Dylan's phone to the police reporting an unconscious person. Okay, which I think is super weird, especially if people are brutally stabbed to death. But we're going to get there. Upon 
arrival, the police are assuming they're coming to see an unconscious person. What they find are victims of a murder. And what they find is these people are dead, but there's no forced entry into the home. Also, remember, I said that this assailant just walked out the back door, which means he probably came in the back door, or at least he came in a way that he knows how to get in without being noticed. Or he was already there. That's an option, too. So, Ethan and Xana were found first because they're on the second floor. They obviously had to call in other people to come. This is a fucking homicide. This isn't just an unconscious person. They're found in the second floor in her bedroom. Xana was found on the floor close to the door, which they say kind of aligns with if she's getting her food order, right? And she's coming back to the bedroom or whatever. Ethan was on the bed. So Ethan was killed in bed, but Dana was killed on the floor, which means she wasn't in bed, which lines up with her getting her food or she was eating her food or something. Madison and Kaylee were found on the third floor in Madison's bed. As I said, the roommates, both Bethany and Dylan, were never considered suspects or they're not considered suspects at this time. I say at this time because nothing has been convicted yet. But Authorities are still trying to figure out, or they have, it just hasn't been released to the public, why there was such a large time gap for the roommates to call 911. Yeah, and this is where I think I heard about it. Like that bit right there was something that I feel like I probably saw on like social media or something because, yeah, there was, I definitely remember like at college, I didn't realize how like recent it was, but I remember reading something about a college murder and like the biggest thing was like that nobody had been alerted, like obviously like in an appropriately timely manner. Also, that's really weird though, that she was like, they're unconscious because clearly like there's blood everywhere. Well, just remember I said a call came from Dylan's phone. That's the piece that we need to know. Uh, was it not Dylan? Maybe. This is all information we still don't have yet as the public. So we're going to touch on that in just a second. Well, at the end, not just a second. But just to talk about how gruesome this crime was, there's an actual photo and there's blood like streaming down the outside of the house of one of the bedrooms. I think was Xana's bedroom because it's so close to the, the actual ground. That's how like gruesome this crime was, that the blood seeped outside the house and you can see it. And the rooms were just, like, covered in blood. And we also know that murdering somebody with a knife is so personal, which blows my mind. I was like, how does one person murder four people and nobody fights back? Yeah, yeah it's like a slasher film. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, they, they had some defensive wounds. But, I mean, also, the one that gets me, I think, right now is the couple so like the guy and the and the female that was getting her DoorDash? So assuming that she was murdered first because she was in the doorway, you would have thought that he would have woken up. And I mean, obviously as a guy, I don't know how big of a guy he was, but as a guy, you would think that he would have somehow done something to the guy that was murdering his girlfriend instead of being in bed still. These all must have been really hard sleepers or something. But also, you would have that's a theory. Awake because gonna... she was awake getting her door dashed. So I'm like, I don't, it doesn't make sense. We're going to talk about Ethan and Xana 
in one of the theories towards the end, but you're, yes, that's something that people talked about. Back onto this timeline. At 1.04 p.m., so the police are called at 11.58. At 1.04 p.m., the University of Idaho sends out a text to all of the students. And if you've been a college student and attacks where things have happened, you normally get a text alert. And it told them, and the quote, Moscow PD investigating a homicide on King Road, which is where the house was, near campus. Suspect is not known at this time. Stay away from the area and shelter in place. Then at 3.46 p.m., the campus sends out their final text message that says investigation continues. Suspect unknown. Moscow Police Department does not believe there is a threat. Shelter in place lifted. Remain vigilant. End quote. Which set people into kind of like a spiral. They're like, hey, there's a murderer on the loose and you're telling us that everything is okay. What the fuck? You know what I mean? So people were not okay. But that's what happened. So four days later, on November 17th, the deaths are finally ruled by the coroner as a homicide. The coroner's name was Kathy Mabut, who said, and I quote, we have had multiple murders in the past, but nothing like this with four college students. Then on November 17th, so between November 17th and November 25th, and I quote, this was a quote from... People magazine, this was a statement given to people that said the figure alleged to be Kronberg, who is Brian, our alleged murderer, walked past her. So this was Dylan talking to the press, walked past her and left the home. Analysis of surveillance footage showed that a white Hyundai Elantra, like the one that was seized when Kronberg was arrested, drove around the home several times between 3.29 a.m. and 4.04 a.m. before departing at a high rate of speed at 4.20 a.m., the affidavit said. So at this point in the investigation, so this is November 2017, November 17th, November 25th, an affidavit of the information they had currently had has come public and the press got a hold of it. So it lines up with what Dylan is saying. If she's up at 4.17 a.m. and he's departing from the scene at a high rate of speed at 4.20, it kind of aligns. They're also saying that between 3.30 in the morning and 4 in the morning, he's like circling this house, this neighborhood a few times before finally stopping. <clears throat> so there's quite a bit of evidence that this white Hyundai Elantra has been outside of this house, surveillancing it, circling it, and then stops and then takes off at 4.20 in the morning. So if we assume that the assailant stopped at 4.04 a.m. and then flees at 4.20, in 16 minutes, they killed four people. And if you want to do the math, that's four minutes per killing. That's like really quick. It's like, you need to know where to kill people. Yeah. Like you would have to and have no complications whatsoever happen. Exactly. So the FBI was actually able to hone in on this car, which was most likely a white 2011-2013 Hyundai Elantra. On November 25th, a B-O-L-O, a BOLO, or a Be on the Lookout, for this vehicle was sent to police only. And then on November 30th, 
the school held a live streamed vigil for the students. The vigil is actually really lovely to watch. It's really hard to watch. GoFundMe's to help raise GoFundMe's were launched. They actually helped raise tens of thousands of dollars for the families of the victims. And then memorial scholarships were actually established in the school. Also, a the Vandal Healing Garden and Memorial was erected. And links to all of this will be in the description. So one, you can support how you want to. You can also check things out. But that will all be in the description below. Fast forwarding to December 7th, the bolo that was sent to the police was actually made public. And the police decided to ask the public to help them find the white Hyundai Elantra that was seen near the crime scene, which Brian owned and would be seized during his arrest. During this investigation, police learned from the family that Kylie possibly had a stalker or Kaylee possibly had a stalker. They didn't really have much information except that she came to them and she said that she felt like she was being followed. So if we think back, there was somebody around October EMing one of the girls in the house. We'll just assume it's Kaylee for the sake of argument. And she feels she's being stalked. We don't know when she came to her family, but we know it had to be between October and when she was murdered. So there's a possibility that Kaylee may be the target here. But why kill three other people if she's the target, right? So during the timeline, December 15th to December 30th, police finally identified Brian as the owner of the white Hyundai Elantra seen near the crime scene after investigators had sifted through thousands of tips of different Hyundai Elantras, and then they were able to match his, the surveillance footage, because he was, like, caught on camera for some other speeding violations, so they were actually able to kind of, like, pinpoint him. But after that, they started to, the FBI got involved, and they started to track him. He left the area, and the FBI followed him for four days, he remained under surveillance until Idaho authorities could obtain a warrant for his arrest. The police took garbage from his parents' trash. They also lived in Pennsylvania. So they took garbage from his parents' trash in Pennsylvania. And they were actually able to match geneolo genealogical DNA to DNA found on a knife sheath that was left at the crime scene. Now, for those of you that don't know what genealogical DNA is, it's basically saying they took DNA from Brian's father ran it against the DNA they found on this knife sheath, and it came back saying there's a 99% probability that the father of the person's DNA on this thing is their father, a.k.a. Brian's dad. A little bit about Brian and why we're like, well, why is it Brian? Well, Brian had other siblings, but he had two sisters, when the DNA or the genealogy came back, it was like it was a male. So he's the only male in the family that's a descendant of his father. So out of the three siblings, it had to have been Brian. So Brian's DNA is pretty hardcore tied to this knife she left at the crime scene. He also had a rare neurological condition called visual snow. I don't know if you know what that is. I mean, it... It sounds kind of like a stroke-like symptom, you know, or, but I mean, if it's like a, like a 
intermittent thing so it doesn't it's not constant then i don't know it's weird is it like visual though or is it like mental visual so it's it's rare and what it does is your vision is actually obstructed by a bunch of scattered dots so when i was saying like her dylan when she froze that might help her because if he has this visual impairment he actually may not have seen her in the dark to your point earlier so he had this thing called visual snow or just like this really rare medical condition he was also known to be a very troubled kid he was bullied a lot but yet he would go on to be a bully himself he was known to persistently pursue girls that he liked even if they rejected him he's that guy okay yeah, he's that guy. I don't think no for an answer. So he would pursue, which doesn't help this case, right? He was also a big fan of online forums. Now, Gen Z may not know what I'm talking about, but you know what I'm talking about. Like online forums were the place to be in the 2000s, okay? You could be whoever you wanted, wherever you wanted, and it did not matter. ASL was a thing, did not matter. So he was a big advocate for online forums and he would just use them to vent and he would talk about a bunch of things. He was very open about his struggles with depression, with anxiety, with his depersonalization and his lack of emotion and his suicidal thoughts. So here were a couple of his online posts and a quote, I feel like an organic sack of meat with no self-worth. He wrote that when he was 16. And I quote, as I hug my family, I look into their faces. I see nothing. It is like I am looking at a video game, but less, end quote. Quote, nothing I do is enjoyable. I am blank. I have no emotion. I am no, emo I have no emotion. I have nothing. Can you relate? End quote. So those are just some of the things that he posted on some of these forums when he was younger. So in 2013, he has at this point kind of accepted and learned how to cope with his illness, but he also begins using heroin. So he becomes a heroin addict, but later in life, he began studying psychology at DeSales University in Pennsylvania. And by 2018, he is no longer using heroin. He's clean of drugs and he's just pursuing a normal college career, which is very impressive, kind of given the rates of people who do drugs, right? Yeah. He becomes incredibly infatuated with psychology, but more specifically criminal psychology, and even more specifically the minds of high-profile criminals. There was a podcast I listened to, and he did some kind of study and he was asking for basically people or murderers and or serial killers and asking them very personal questions like what basically what did you think leading up to this? How did you prepare? Like really weird specific questions that he did for some kind of thesis. But that just kind of talks a little more about his intensity with that. So. During the time after the murders, he is supposed to be driving home to Pennsylvania with his dad from Washington, where, you know, he worked and everything, and he also had an apartment. And while this is all while he's being tracked by the FBI, law enforcement pulls, 
pulls him over two times during this trip. This was all on purpose. It wasn't accidental because they wanted to see if Brian had defensive wounds on his hands because some of the victims had defensive wounds. They were seeing, did he have them as well? Come December 16th, they finally made it home. Brian was displaying some very odd behaviors. They're still being surveillanced by the FBI. And what they notice are these things. He was cleaning the inside, the outside of his car. I mean, and people clean their cars. Like, I wouldn't say that's weird behavior. He was wearing surgical gloves, which again, and yeah, that's a little bit weird, but like maybe he's doing a deep clean. Who knows? Like people have gloves in their house to clean. Like I can't really say like that's weird behavior. What I do think is weird is around 4 a.m. They noticed that he was taking out his trash, but he was putting it in his neighbor's trash bin. That I do find really weird at 4 a.m. That's a little suspicious. Yeah. Now that could be because he thought the police were on to him. He could have known the police were on to him. Let's remember, he's a PhD graduate student in criminology. Like, he also went out and tried out to get onto the police force, and he did not make it. So he's not dumb. Like, he could be doing this to hide his tracks. He could be doing this for a number of reasons. But I do think the trash thing is weird. Come December 30th, Brian is actually arrested at his parents' house in Pennsylvania during an early morning raid around 3 in the morning. During this raid and during this seize, they take these things from his from his parents' home. They take knives. They take a Glock handgun. They take medical-style gloves. They take a flashlight. And they take Brian's car, which, let's be honest, is probably the most damning evidence. So they take all of those things. They also had a warrant for his apartment in Washington. And the things they take from his apartment in Washington are a stained pillowcase, which they describe as like a brownish red because it's possibly blood, and a nitrite-type black glove and some hair strands, which they were hoping were dog hair strands because Kaylee had a dog. We don't know if those were or were not dog hair strands. That's what hasn't been released yet. He would be arrested and charged with four counts of murder and one count of felony burglary. So now we're going to get to 2023. January 1st of 2023, Brian's family actually released a statement saying how sad they feel for the families and that they would be cooperating fully with the authorities. Their statement is as follows. First and foremost, we can we care deeply for the four families who have lost their precious children. There are no words that can adequately express the sadness we feel, and we pray each day for them. There are no words that can adequately Oh, I totally said that. I'm sorry. We will continue to let the legal process unfold, and as a family, we will love and support our son and brother. We have fully co- we have fully cooperated with law enforcement agencies in an attempt to seek the truth and promote his presumption in, in, of innocence rather than judge unknown facts and make erroneous 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 whatever assumptions. erroneous thank you we respect privacy in this matter and our family and the family suffering loss can move forward through the legal process that's from cbs news january 3rd he agrees to go back to idaho to face the charges against him aka he waves you know his extradition right 
January 4th, he's extradited to Idaho. January 12th, the preliminary hearing and his attorney requests the hearing to be set for June happens. March 3rd, the defense, his attorney, asks the Idaho Supreme Court to keep a gag order in place. Well, if you don't know what a gag order is, let me tell you. A gag order is the term for when a judge prohibits the attorneys, parties, or witnesses in, in, in a pending lawsuit or criminal prosecution from talking about the case to the public, according to the Cornell Law School, a.k.a. attorneys, families, witnesses, cannot talk to the press, basically anyone, about what's going on in the case. On June 26th will be the next hearing, and it's scheduled for 9 a.m. and is expected to last five days. So to sum up everything, here's currently what we know. You ready? Mm-hmm. Ryan has yet to submit a plea deal, but he denies allegations of his involvement. He believes he will be exonerated, according to his attorney. And it's according, and his attorney says, it is a little, it is a little out of character. I mean, this is not him. He believes he's going to be exonerated. That's what he believes. Those were his words. So he really, he, so he's really been very easy to talk to, actually. And he's in a calm demeanor, like I stated, end quote. He's being held without bail. Um, he was 10 miles from the crime scene when it occurred. The Moscow Police Department had 13,000 tips and thousands of digital media submissions. That's what they have to comb through currently for this case. Everyone, including us, is still waiting on the why, like what was the motive of the murder and how did he do it being one person killing four people in a house of seven, essentially. Phone records show that his phone was in the coverage area, basically of the murder site, of King Road 12 times prior to the murder date as far back as June most likely stalking. So if we assume that he has set his sights on one of the roommates, he's been in their general neighborhood at least 12 times as far back as June when the murders took place in November. So just keep that in mind. Here's what we know of the night of the murder. At 2.47 a.m., Brian's phone was not able to be picked up by a cell phone tower, which means his phone was either off in airplane mode or the area he was in had no service. How convenient. But at 4.48 a.m., Brian's phone pinged a couple of minutes south of the University of Idaho, showing that he was in the area. Then it tracks him back to his home. So while there's nothing to show where he was or what he was doing for, what, two hours, suddenly we can see him going home from the area where the murders took place. At 9.12 a.m., his phone pings again. He had entered Moscow, the area where they were murdered, and he left around 9.21 a.m. Why does this matter? Well, it's theorized that he was coming back to the scene of the crime, but yet 911 hadn't been called yet. So either he was checking to see if the police were there. I mean, it's the only thing I can think of. Like, why else would you go back if you actually committed the crime? But the police weren't there yet because nobody called, okay? The prosecution in this case has not decided if they will seek the death penalty or not. 
If they do, they will need to formally file a notice no later than 60 days after Brian enters his plea, which he has not done yet. The craziest part of this is that none of the victims actually knew Brian. Shannon Gray, she's actually Kaylee's family lawyer. She searched for any connection of the victims to Brian, and she couldn't find anything. And she told the president, I quote, they didn't know him. That was it, plain and simple. Whether he knew them or not, it doesn't matter. They had no connection to Brian in this case. The police still haven't found the knife used in the murders. And this part is not confirmed. But as I said earlier, there was a call made from Dylan's phone. It's, I wouldn't say theorized, but someone has come forward to say that the actual person who made the phone call wasn't Dylan. It was Ethan's best friend. He came around the house late Sunday, and he actually found Ethan and Zana's bodies. He checked their pulses to see if they were alive, and then he actually called 911. But we don't have any paperwork or anything from the police department to corroborate this yet so as of now that's hearsay so that could be fake that could be true but even then if you if these murders were so brutal and so bloody <laughs> why would you even need to check a pulse i mean okay maybe you could check a pulse why would you say they're unconscious so why also though is is it ethan's friend that's using dylan's phone that doesn't i want to know does, I must, did, did Dylan and this friend know each other? Like, also, I thought she like locked her room, which I mean, I mean, I guess if they knew each other, if she was familiar with the sound of his voice, maybe that's why. I don't know. It's weird, right? But also, like, why wouldn't she just call 911 unless she was like hysterical? No, dude, the whole thing is weird. The whole phone call to the police is so weird and it doesn't make any sense to me the unconscious I mean, I really wish, like, makes no sense i really wish i'll like release the actual 911 call because i would be really interested to hear what it sounds like yeah so we'll see what comes of that i mean there's also a theory that maybe bethany or dylan like if dylan's not the one that made the phone call what if bethany came out of her room and Dylan was hysterical because she found the bodies and she passes out. And then Bethany is the one that calls the police because she's passed out. She doesn't know why she's passed out. And then the police come to check on Dylan and then find the other bodies in the process. Like the only logical explanation I can think of for a unconscious person is if somebody literally finds their roommate unconscious. Yeah. But I don't know. I, still, though, like, maybe, okay, I don't know. Like, maybe they walked away from the bodies and then passed out. But to me, it, it seems most logical that, like, they saw the bodies. Oh, my God, you know, blood rush to the head, passed out right next to the bodies. I mean, like, maybe at the time, whoever called 911 was, like, obviously these people are dead. I'm just going to say what I really need help with is this unconscious person because they're obviously not dead. But it's just like logically, maybe they just weren't thinking, okay, that sounds weird. You know? Yeah. I don't know. People do some weird things though, like when they're going through something like tra as traumatic as that. So maybe like 
their brain just wasn't like, oh, maybe I should be calling on one one because these people are dead. Instead, oh, it's probably thinking I can save this one person who's still un- just unconscious, then they're not stabbed, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, we'll never know. We weren't, we've never been in the situation. Who knows how people would act in those situations? So here are some theories that I found on Reddit because, of course, there was a Reddit thread going on about this. Here are a couple of theories. The target was actually Kaylee. He was infatuated with her. He's known to pursue girls even after he's been rejected. He found Kaylee. Maybe he was following her on Instagram. Maybe he was the one DMing her. Maybe he became infatuated with her and his target was Kaylee all along. So when he broke in, he wasn't prepared. My only fault with that is he didn't break into Kaylee's room. He came in through the patio. So you're telling me he went upstairs first to Kaylee's room, but then wouldn't he let her dog out? So my thing is, I'm like, so he went into Madison's room ready to go, whether it was Madison or Kaylee. So that's my only fault in that one was like, if Kaylee was the target, how would he know Kaylee was in Madison's room? The only way that he would know that if he was already in the house, which is possible because another theory was he's already pre-scoped the home because the way they talk about the case and according to Dylan's testimony, he already seemed to know where he was going. He knew exactly what rooms he was going into. He knew exactly who he was killing. So he should have, he would know who is where in the house. So it's possible he's already scoped out the home and been inside the home before people knew and before he attacked them. That's a theory. Another theory, which is a little more left field, is that Dylan might have been the target. Maybe he had an interaction with Dylan or he was infatuated with her and she rejected him in some way and he decided that he was going to make her pay or he was going to take everything from her and so he killed all of her friends in the house or people that she cared about again my only thought with that was then why was bethany left alive right if he was going to kill all the people that she liked why was bethany left alive so that's another theory the other theory is that it was a targeted attack that he specifically targeted these four people He didn't give a shit about Bethany. He didn't give a shit about Dylan. And he was like, these four people are going to die. Now, to go back to the Kaylee thing, it's like, yeah, I mean, it would make sense that if Kaylee was the target or if all four of them were the target, he would pick the one weekend where she would be back at the house. That makes sense. What we don't know is why he would kill them all. One theory says... He came there to attack either Madison or Kaylee. And he was interrupted. So they say he came in from the second floor. So some people say there's a 50-50 split. Some people say it was Madison and Kaylee or Madison or Kaylee or it was Xana. There's another theory that says he saw Xana and Madison at the mad greek where they worked and he became infatuated with one or both of them and so if we think about it this way he comes in through the patio he wants to attack santa and he doesn't realize that ethan is there some people say if he had known there was a man there that he probably wouldn't have attacked them so while she's getting her food he sneaks into her room he sees ethan he kills ethan 
So by the time she comes back into the bedroom, she's whimpering and upset. And he's, it's okay, I'm going to help you. And then he kills her. And then he goes upstairs and he kills Madison and he kills Kaylee. I mean, again, there's loopholes in all of this, but it's like, these are all theories and we're all trying to figure out the motive. And at the end of the day, until we know, we won't know. But those are just some of the theories going around on Reddit right now. So I guess my question to you is, what is your theory here? Do you think Brian actually did it? Do you think he did it alone? Do you have other theories? What do you think? I think that last scenario that you just kind of walked through is more plausible because at least that one explains the how the one male in the house, Ethan, was dead in the bed. Because, yeah, I mean, like, if he was watching and he saw Xana going to get her food, he could have, like you said, been going back to the room to possibly just be in there when she gets back with her food, realizes that he's in bed, and that's how he was able to kill him. And she would probably be the first victim then. But my thing is, though, if his true victim or true, I'm not victim, but, like, target was Xana, why kill the other two as well? But that, and that part, that part I don't get. So also, you know, if the, the one theory about him already being in the house when everybody gets home, that part doesn't make sense only because, like you said earlier, there was like surveillance of him like circling around a bunch at what, three or something like that. So, I mean, he wasn't in the house then or else he was working with somebody. So that's my thought. Yeah. So there are some people that think that he didn't work alone. I'm still hung up on the fact that I'm like, was there really one person in the house? Because I'm not, I mean, there's a ton of evidence that shows that Brian was there, like DNA evidence that shows that Brian was there. But it's like in a matter of, what was it? 404 to 418 or 420. In, in 417 for that matter, like what? That's, that's 13 minutes to kill four people. It takes five minutes minimum to strangle someone to death. Now, stabbing is different, but I'm like, you're telling me four people could be killed in 13 minutes by one person? Like, it just seems like a lot. And and two of them are upstairs. Was there somebody else involved? You know, I can't rule out that maybe Bethany or Dylan was involved. There's just something weird about that to me. I'm not saying they should have been victims, but it's the way that the police were called. It's how the police were called. It's what was said to 911. It's how long it took. It's just all weird to me. No, totally. I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense. And it it really does. That's where I think this not only is it obviously a, a gruesome murder and it's college students and, you know, you have the whole social media aspect too, but it's just odd. I think that's why a lot of people are like so fascinated with this because, yeah, that's definitely the the bit that I heard was the thought that like, why did it take so long to call and that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, I'm really, too bad it's not, it's still two months away to see what, what the outcome or what the, the court you know, hearing say and whatnot. We'll see. Know. We'll know in June. 
that was our listener submission. So thank you, Riker, for that fucking wild ride of a case. I wasn't expecting it at all. That's what I got for you. Wow. Bravo. You, I think this is one of your first to be continued, too, kind of. Like, a little bit. Well, yeah, I'm in the, the lower vowel. Never mind. But, like... Yeah, I mean, I say kind of because Lori Vallow has been, like, officially charged. And the biggest thing that we're waiting on is her defend was, like, oh, well, we want to be trials being infringed upon. And I'm, like, I can't fathom that that is a thing. So, yeah. But this one, we don't even know what's going to happen yet with this case. We don't know if he's going to take a plea. We don't know if he's going to, what his plea is going to be. We don't know if he's going to go to trial. Like, shit. Yeah. Cool. Can't wait to hear. All sources for our episodes are also linked in the description if you want to check them out. My very first source also gave me a bunch of the links that I used. So my very first source, which was investigationdiscovery.com, if you go to that link, it will give you the majority of links that I use, not all of them. But if you're interested in kind of checking this out for yourself, that's a really great place to start. I also used people.com, www.nbcnews. I used uidaho.edu, independent.co.uk, cbsnews.com, law.cornell.edu, cbsnews.com. Again, universe, oh, that's the whole holding. ktv.ktvu.com, nzherald.co.nz, and tmz.com those are just the websites that i referenced i also listened to the podcast from true crime daily the podcast and crime drive thank you guys so much for being here if you want us to cover anything please let us know we are definitely starting a listeners um stories in the podcast so you'll find that playlist on youtube you'll also see that in our highlights on instagram but if you want to check us out, we are on Instagram at TAKT Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Take a Killer to Brunch. You can send us an email at TAKT Podcast at gmail.com. If you're not already listening or watching us on YouTube, we're on YouTube at Take a Killer to Brunch. And thank you guys so much for being here. If you want to give us submissions, suggestions, we would love to hear from you, your thoughts in general, how we can make this better. Send your comments in the bottom or send us a DM or an email. We would love to hear from you. So thank you guys so much for being here. And we will see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers.